0: largely we're not paying attention to our bodies as part of our leadership so my work with the horses is about dropping out of our heads because I know that our brains are brilliant I know that people are brilliant in their heads so what a lot of the work that I'm doing is how do you integrate that with what you're feeling in your heart and in your emotions and what are you feeling in your gut your instincts your intuition
1: Before we get into today's episode, we have a word from our sponsor, Mindset Shift. Have you ever told yourself, I don't think I can do this? They will never go for it. I'm not a good enough leader. The things you tell yourself that hold you back. Imagine if you could remove all those boundaries just by holding them up and actually looking at them, figuring out where they come from and how to tackle them. At Mindset Shift, that's what we do. We help innovative and ambitious leaders that want to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, for their business, for their culture, and for themselves. We help unlock their growth through actionable coaching, workshops, leadership development programs, or speaking engagements. We create foundational people-over-profit environments, the kinds where productivity and innovation soar Culture, inclusion, and equity sit at the heart of operations. Are you ready to step out the box and take your organization to the next level? Contact us today at www.mindsetshift.co.uk. Enjoy today's episode. I'm really looking forward to this. My guest is a multi-award winning founder of Leading by Nature, where she helps executive teams accelerate business growth through experimental learning with a herd of horses. She is also an exec coach, she's a speaker, podcast host, best-selling author of three books. She's a former senior leader in IBM, and she has a lot of experience leading teams over three decades in UK, Europe, and worldwide. She is who I'm calling the horse whisperer, but she is G- Jennison. How are you doing?
0: I'm oh, very good. Thank you, Chopin.
1: It's um an absolute pleasure. Um, we caught up. I've met the horses. It was a really, really eye-opening experience for me. And in fact, before we even delve into all of that, I always like to go back with my guests. And with you, I wanted to go back to languages. Because I noticed that you did languages at A-levels, languages at university. Was that something that you were looking to explore a lot more when you were younger?
0: Well, my husband said I talk a lot, so I might as well <laughs> I might as well be interested in other languages and learn more words <laughs> but I think if I'm really honest when I was at when I was at secondary school, I had more of an affinity to languages and the humanities than I did to science, mm-hmm. and I learn experientially, so I learn by practical application rather than theoretically, although I have done academic research in my adult years. So I think I was just always really fascinated and I had the privilege of being able to travel as a teenager with my parents on holiday in Europe and was really fascinated that I couldn't understand people and wanted to understand other people. And so if I wanted to understand them, what better way than to learn their language? So I always, I pride myself on whenever I go to a country, I will always learn, hello, goodbye, please, thank you. I may even learn, uh, how are you? And some other things. So when recently, when I went to Morocco, I learned some Arabic, which I can't, cannot tell you how challenging that was. And I can't remember any of it. But in the end, by the end of a two week holiday, I was having conversations with strangers It just opens people's hearts. And so it always fascinates me. And I think in England, when we speak English as a first language, we get lazy because we don't always know what language to learn, so we tend not to bother. And we expect everybody to learn English. I just think it's rude. I think it's really important to reach out to include other people and to be included in their culture.
1: Yeah, that's what I kind of found it really intriguing is listening to you talk. It's from a very young age, having that lens of, actually, I want to learn about other people. I'm curious about what they're saying, how they're saying, it. I'm curious about their language. And rather than you waiting for the people to come to where you are, you're willing to meet them where they're at, which involved a lot more work. But it was that curiosity and that fascination that really drove you to that and I had um, uh psychologist human researcher on curiosity in the podcast a couple of weeks ago and we we're talking about this in particular that the more curious that we can be about other people the more we start to build relationships and it's a primary foundation of inclusion which is mm-hmm. exactly what you're talking about right now
0: and it's uncomfortable so uh, you know as an example i studied Russia, french and russian at university because i wanted to be challenged okay. and i cannot tell you how challenging russian is my goodness did i get that And I spent five weeks in Russia in 1986 before the Berlin Wall came down, before Glasnost. So it was the, the former USSR at the time when I went, and it was a very closed country. And it was so fascinating culturally as well as linguistically and very uncomfortable to be in a culture that I didn't understand where it's very easy to get things wrong. I'm willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of bridging, bridging and meeting other people.
1: How did that, I guess, that curiosity and that willingness to step into other areas leading to you going to IBM?
0: I, well, I started my career in retail working in a bookshop because I, I, uh, when I left university, there were no graduate jobs. So I thought, well, I'll just get a job. So I worked in a bookshop packing shelves, pu- putting books on a, on shelves to start with, and then stayed three years, rose up through the management line, and then got to a point where I thought, well, the next, the next role is a head office role. Didn't really want to do that. And I knew people who worked for IBM, so I wangled myself for an interview. And again, it's a very alien culture because it, in in 1993, when I joined it, I was one of five women in an office of 1,500 men and was repeatedly told I'd never have a career because I was a woman, I'd never have a career because I didn't have a maths or science degree and everybody else did. I very quickly just didn't fit in because I had no desire to do anything technical. I just wanted to meet clients and chat to people. <laughs> so I I just have always had that desire to connect and and build rapport and relationship and not just for the sake of connection but for the sake of doing something I'm not just interested in let me build a relationship I then want to take that somewhere so I'm always really fascinated about business because you build a relationship to achieve something together
1: so being told one in five women being told you are not necessarily going to succeed because you don't want to do anything technical. And also having a, sounds like a very different outlook and approach to a lot of the people in that organisation. You proved them wrong. How was that journey for you, navigating that space, not having a lot of representation around you, especially in in the tech world in the early 90s?
0: Mm. Well, it was all I knew. So... I didn't really know anything else. I was, at the time, a minority group in a majority trying to fit in and in the process trying not to lose my sense of self. And And I'm sure you have experience of that too, of that how do you fit in and conform without losing your own identity? And in some ways I think that's the challenge that we all have all of our lives.
1: I can relate to that and but not my my history of working in corporate of being one in one in a lot of spaces and multi multinational organizations and how lonely and uncomfortable it was and having to find for me, there was a the support from the outside that helped me to, to navigate through. And in your case, did you have similar experiences did you have people outside supporting you or was it just you and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to keep on pushing through and dealing with the obstacles.
0: You know, I was kind of at the forefront because in the 1990s, I looked around for women role models and there weren't any. Margaret Thatcher was the only visible woman leader. And whatever your politics, she wasn't the role of leader, leadership that I was inspired by. I think she was of her time and she had a very difficult challenge in a very brutal world. The world I was in was probably not as brutal as the world she was in, but I, there weren't women ahead of me. And so I had to carve the way. And largely I'm still doing the same in the work that I do today in that when I started the work that I'm doing with horses 10 years ago, there was hardly anybody doing it and nobody had ever heard of it. And in, in many ways, I'm not afraid to step into something I don't know. I mean, if i I'll give you an example. When I was 19 and I went to France as part of my French degree, and somebody asked me to be a skiing instructor for five-year-olds because they needed an extra an extra instructor. And I'd never been on skis before, and I said yes. <laughs> and I thought, well, how hard can it be? It's five-year-olds. You know, they're going to fall over. I'm going to fall over. So I've never really been afraid to – that's not true. I am afraid. I'm willing to be uncomfortable and put myself out there for the sake of – for the sake of doing great work in the world.
1: You don't let your fear stop you. You still feel the fear like we all do. But then the difference is, it feels, for some people, it's you feel the fear and then you shrink backwards. In your case, it's like, okay, I'm scared. I don't know much about this, but I'm willing to try and risk falling flat on, on, on in snow or being uncomfortable but I know I'll get something from this because I'm willing to step outside of my of my comfort zone, isn't it?
0: Yes, sometimes. And then sometimes, like everybody else, I shrink back and go, "Oh, I can't do that. It's way <laughs> too uncomfortable. And depending on what it is and how important it is, I can move through it. And I think if, if I learned something in, in IBM, I mean, I learned many, many things, but that was one thing that I did learn, which was, I, I don't have to have the answers. I don't need to know how it works or what it is to be able to lead others through it. And yes, it's uncomfortable. And yes, I will fail and fall flat on my face. And that's okay too, because there's great learning in it. But like everybody else, you know, I, I do feel fear and shrink back.
1: <laughs> yeah, but there was a point you just made there, though, that like everyone else you feel fear and at times you shrink back but it depends how important is it? it is for you to determine if you're going to push through or not. And I think that's a very, very important distinction because yeah. it's how relevant is this for me? How pertinent is this for me? And can I use that as a guide for me to be able to navigate how I deal with fear.
0: Well, and interestingly, it's nearly always not important for me. It's important in service of something bigger than me if I'm really honest, where I would shrink back is if it's just something I want. But if it's something that adds value to somebody else or is in service of societal change, then I'm willing to be very uncomfortable.
1: Have you ever stepped out in the service of people and change and other things and it hasn't been worth it?
0: I always say don't live a life of regret. So I was pausing for a while because I'm, has it failed? Yes. Has it not been worth it? No, because there's learning from the failure. I'll give you an example if you like. Yeah. Um, I was in a networking group and it was nearly all white people. And the woman tried to share, we were, we were having conversations about something And an Asian woman started to share something and a few people shot her down and talked over her. And I stood up for her and I said, "Whoa, hold on a minute, let this woman speak. And she turned on me. She said, I don't need you to speak for me. And I was surprised because I was trying to support her. It wasn't taken. It wasn't received that way. I withdrew and had a conversation with her afterwards to apologize that I didn't mean to take her space I was trying to support. Was that worth it? No, no, not really. But yes, it was because it gave me an insight into not everybody wants my support. And I need to have more sensitivity about when and how and where and, and also be okay with messing it up.
1: And that's the one thing that scares people the most is messing it up for yourself, messing it up for the people and how you're going to come across while messing it up. That perception is like, there's the three main things that I see time and time again, that feed into the fear. And that's what stops people. But as you just explained that actually, even in that it all depends on your perspective. Yes. It might not. It's, I failed at that particular thing, but you're not a failure, I said, because there's a learning to it. So it all depends on how you how you approach things. And towards the end of 15 years at IBM, you were Im- implementing a strategy that looked after 28,000 people. So obviously, you've dispelled all those different, shall I say, statements that people made about you when you first started out about not rising through the ranks, leading teams in multiple um, continents. As you look back over your journey, which was a while ago. What were the key lessons that you can say you learned from that period of time? And if I'm a young woman in an organization navigating in tech, for example, which to be fair, a lot of it hasn't changed that much. There's still not a lot of representation for women let alone with ethnicity and other different intersectionalities involved. How would you, what would be your advice to that person
0: oh many and varied find brilliant mentors dare to be different be okay with difference have a voice don't let other people talk over the top of you don't fight when they do but find a way of meeting them develop your leadership and your team skills and your communication skills build rapport build bridges find allies And don't shy away from the people who disagree with you. And ultimately, it's all about people. It doesn't matter what business you're in, what sector you're in. You have to be able to lead teams of people to achieve things. So build those people skills because that, it doesn't matter. You know, the technical skills, anybody can learn pretty much. Anybody can sit down and learn technical skills. But people skills are tricky. Relationships are tricky. So build, put all the attention into that.
1: That's something that you've always found easy to do.
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) No. No, I mean, people are tricky, aren't they? Yeah, I I, but I work at it. I've been married for thirty years. That doesn't mean that we, you know, it's like we never have a, an argument or we agree on everything. We agree on a lot, but we have the hard conversations. And and I think that's the thing with relationships is to is that willingness to sit there and say, "Help me understand your point of view." When I was working in in IBM, working across Europe with different nationalities and different languages, and I didn't speak them. You know, I would learn a few words, but that was it. Different languages, different cultures, different ideas. I came across a lot of different opinions and very heated discussions and always looked for, how do I support you so that you and I can do great work together? And that's the you know that's what i've done even more with the horses because all the horses that i've taken on have been rescue horses and have come with come with their own challenges and very quickly realized you don't just pick up a lead rope and lead a horse it's a bit like leading the most challenging person you've ever led and you have to get into to walk in their shoes and really seek to understand and be okay with not actually understanding because we never really know what it's like to walk in somebody else's shoes where we can learn how to walk beside them in a different way.
1: It's that willingness to learn, willingness to be open, willingness to, I do not call it just be intentional. Intentional about the, the people you're around, the people that you're seeing, the people that you're communicating with, how you're communicating with them. With them. And one thing that you just talked about, even being married for 30 years, it's taking a lot of those learning and lessons from relationships at home and apply them to work. Like if you do that and hopefully have a good relationship at home, but if you do that, then it just flows into, it flows so authentically into relationships at work. And because then it's about you being genuine about other people and caring about other people. And then that's what builds the bridges, isn't it? And for your work with horses, spent 15 years in IBM, navigated the way to the top and you decided to leave and you stepped into a new or brand new field. How did you start working with horses? Have you ridden horses when you were younger? Have you always had a love for horses?
0: No, I was terrified of horses 11 years ago. So when I left IBM, I set up a leadership and coaching business. I was terrified of horses. And the first group of people that I led through a leadership program, I called the program Challenge the Status Quo. Now that seems fairly my average as a as a title but 11 years ago everyone said you cannot call your leadership program challenge the status quo it's just too it's too radical it's too out there and I said well that's what I want to do so that's what we're going to do and I led a a group of 10 leaders through this program for six months and it was about stretching them out of their comfort zones and challenging their status quo and one of the things I asked them to do was overcome their fear of something and so that in the next session we could talk about what is it like to be, to sit in fear and to move through it powerfully as a leader? Because often with fear we push through when we're still frightened or we retreat. And I wanted them to experience coming through it and understanding what that experience was like. So I thought, well, because I'm a big believer in walking my talk, I'm frightened of horses. I'll go and overcome my fear of horses. And learned so much that I went back and trained in the work equine facilitated leadership that I now do with no intention of doing it because I didn't have horses I didn't know anything about them and I got hooked and I stuck a page on my website and clients came so I did what any sane rational person does I bought a horse (laughs) and started doing this work and that was 10 years ago and and now I have a herd of four horses currently I've had up to six at any one time. I now have four. And uh, and that's the work that I now do is working with leaders and teams out of their comfort zone, literally in a field with a herd of horses, exploring what is it like to be out of your comfort zone? What is it like to understand a different culture, to engage and lead powerfully when you don't have all the answers and you don't have all the information? Which is why I wrote the book three years ago, Leading Through Uncertainty, which is being revised currently and and will be out in a second edition in 2022, because it's something that we're doing all of the time. And for some people, they need to have all the answers before they will pick up the lead rope and metaphorically and lead, whereas actually... Most of the time we don't know what we're doing and we're leading our way through change, not knowing we have a vague idea of where we want to be, but we don't always know how to get there. And so that's, yeah, that's how I, that's how I made the shift was, it was a massive leap of faith of firstly, leaving an organization, global organization of 440,000 people to working on my own. And then to work with horses, you know, having been frightened of them only three months earlier. It's crazy.
1: (laughs) It's absolutely crazy. I think what's even crazier is something you've glossed over. You talk about getting over your fear of horses. For those who don't know, your fear came, was a very real one, because you broke nine ribs, shoulder blade in three places, I think your lung collapsed. You had a serious injury. From horses, so it wasn't just an irrational fear of horses. It was a real physical. So, what was that like for you? You just talked about coming through pain. How did you come through that pain and overcome that fear for you to step outside your comfort zone and start to actually not only just work with, or to get over your fear, but start working with horses and on
0: horses. So, the actual overcoming my fear took about five minutes. For me to suddenly realize that instead of having fear, I could respect about a person or a situation, whatever it is, I could have respect for it and also have respect for myself. When we experience fear, we're we usually don't have respect for that other person because either we're if we're in conflict, for example, it doesn't matter whether it's a human being or a horse we tend to either engage in a fight or we distance ourselves and withdraw. But to actually stay really calm and grounded and say, instead of fearing you, how can I have respect for you as a human being or in my case with a horse? And also how can I have respect for myself so that I'm not going to push you around and I'm not going to let you push me around either? And if we can come from that place, we can be with our differences because then I can sit in the fire with you knowing that we completely fundamentally disagree on everything or it might appear that way. But then to say, so where are we aligned? And if I look at my in my first interaction with the horses, the first thing the horse wanted to do was push me around and I wanted to shrink back. And the more I did that, the more the horse pushed me around. And what the person I was working with said was, are you going to let the horse continue to push you? And what I realized was that was always my fear in conflict, was I was always afraid of being pushed around. And so sometimes I would withdraw to avoid being pushed around. And sometimes I'd engage and push back, but end up in a power struggle. And instead, because I was working with 500 kilograms of horse, Instead, I stood calmly and groundly and said, I don't want you in my face. Stand, you know, at the end of my arm's length and no nearer because that's comfortable for me. And as soon as I said to the horse, don't come any nearer, they stopped at the end of my fingertips. And I was like, wow. So it's about having respect and saying, I hear that you want to come in because you're wanting to be curious about me. But I want you to stay away because I'm uncomfortable. So the, and it's not even a compromise, but the, it's what we co-created was you can come in as long as you're at arm's length, because then you get to come in and be curious and I get to keep you at a distance. And that then meets both our needs. By the way, as I'm talking, the horses are doing an awful lot of like, snorting and letting go which is what they do when releasing tension and they do that when they're sensing that what we're speaking to is our authentic truth so there's a there's a lot just so you know there's a lot of that going on outside my (laughs) my door which is quite fascinating and so there, there is something here around how do we meet each other in our authenticity not to find compromise but to meet the needs of ourselves and other and how do we co-create that without being attached to, it looks this way because that's the way I view it.
1: listen to you talk and talk about that relationship and how you've broken things down from just being with a horse and being in the same space as a horse, which all of what you just said right now is all non-verbal as well. Obviously, because horses can't talk. But even, and as we all know, most of the communication, I think what, 70, 73% of communication is non-verbal. So that is is a research behind all of that. That's all there. But then it's, for some people, it's a horse. How can you actually get all of that from just a non-verbal interaction with an animal? How can you... Lead teams by working with animals, and obviously, you've written three brilliant books. One you've already mentioned, Opus, brilliant book as well, Leadership lead Beyond Measure, written as well that talk about this. But for those who are just thinking, How can you get all of that? Can you just explain a bit more around what it's like working with horses, how that flows into leadership, into um, team performance?
0: Yeah, so we're We have brilliant minds and we overuse our brilliant minds and we also have emotions and information in our bodies. So for example, you know, anybody that feels stressed sitting on a Zoom call with their shoulders going up will know that their embodied experience of tension is pain in the shoulders. Largely we're not paying attention to our bodies as part of our leadership. So my work with the horses is about. Dropping out of our heads because I know that our brains are brilliant. I know that people are brilliant in their heads. So, what a lot of the work that I'm doing is how do you integrate that with what you're feeling in your heart and in your emotions, and what are you feeling in your gut, your instincts, your intuition? But also, like, where is your body relaxed and in flow, and where is your body feeling tension? Because tension invites us to explore dissonance of some sort. So whenever there's tension in the body, it's because we're either attached or there's anxiety or there's stress or there's dissonance in the relationship or we're trying too hard or something, but we're not completely relaxed and in flow. And and when we are completely relaxed and in flow, we do our best work. So when we when we work with people who we're very aligned with and it's effortless and it's easy and we say, come with me and they come and we're very relaxed in our bodies, a lot of the work that I'm doing with with people with the horses is starting to pay attention to where do you feel that dissonance in your own body, that embodied leadership? Because the horses feel it. And by the way, people do too. So I know we're not doing it at the moment, but when you shake somebody's hand, you get an instant you either like the person or you dislike them instantly the moment you shake their hand, and then we make up all sorts of stories about why that person is why they like, you know why they are like they are and their energy. We're having that conversation completely unconsciously, and so the work that I do with the horses it reveals the thought patterns and processes that we have. It helps us understand and explore what are the default patterns of behaviour that we have that work. And what are the default patterns of behavior that get in the way of us being effective in our leadership and in our teamwork? And what the horses want is exactly what people want, which is, are you clear what you're asking them to do? Is there a strong relationship based on trust and respect? And are you inviting them to come through free will so that you co-create something together that is not necessarily what you want or what they want, but it's something else that you could maybe not have envisaged on your own.
1: was a whole key, when you think back, especially the last um, 18 months or so with the pandemic, when you think about what teams really need to help them to to grow, to function, to, before you even get to grow, to navigate, let alone the uncertainty, those are key requirements that you're just talking about that you can get from having this kind of like, a session and experience um, with horses, but I'm also sure that when you left corporate world, you stepped into this world, and you started to talk to people around the work that you're doing. You were met with some skepticism. I mean, I'll be honest. In fact, first time we we, we had a conversation, I told you, it was like horses. Hmm, that's, the <laughs> that's that was a bit. I was like, this is an interesting world because I'm an innocent kid from from London. Like this is this is the whole different world to me. And I was just like, how would that work? How would you be able to feel? And personally speaking, obviously I've came down, I've I've met the horses, absolutely loved the experience. And I completely get it and understand, but just from you navigating people saying you're not going to be successful in IBM and then you prove them wrong. Then you step into another world with, animals and then it's again like okay dude, yeah you did you did the last one but this one you're not going to be successful and in fact it's it's animals Who, who cares about that how have you been able to then just overcome that and also bring people on that journey who were skeptical
0: I think some people I haven't brought on the journey so some people I have a lot more no's than I have yeses so some of it is my own emotional resilience to I know the value that working with the horses brings. And I know, I know what happens and I know how it works. And I know that when I talk to people, I can see how I can support them and move them forward. If I can't articulate it effectively, then I can't support them. So, it's a, so some of it is a language thing again. So some of it's a language barrier of how do I meet people in their culture, which is the corporate world, and invite them to meet me so move them one step towards me and my world so uh, you know it's about using the same language of what is it that they're wanting being curious about what is this team really trying trying to achieve and drawing on stories of where i've helped other people achieve that and of course the longer i've done this work the more stories i've got and being willing to accept that some people are just not going to get it and that's okay and that that sometimes can feel like a personal rejection. But it just means that that person's in a different space to where I'm at, and they see the world through a different set of eyes to the world that I see. And that's a microcosm of what goes on in the world on an everyday basis. And I have to continually dig deeper and build myself back up and go, okay, they weren't ready. And be okay with that. And be okay with the ones who are ready, who come, who are blown away, who say every time you set the expectation bar really high and totally smashed it, that, you know, enough people come that I have a business and I have a a major impact in the way people lead in the future. And, And I know that because seven, eight years later, people are posting on LinkedIn of, how they won a business award as a result of a horse called Opus that they worked with eight years ago. You know, it's crazy. They don't remember my name, but they remember the name of the horse. And and that's fine. Because the point is, the horse had such a profound impact on their leadership that eight years later, they remember exactly what happened, what they did, what the horse did, what I said, and what the learning was and how they've applied it. A low point for me quite early on in this work was, Uh, I was at a networking meeting and someone said, what do you do? And I said, I do leadership with horses. And and they looked at me and they said, hmm, that's like extreme knitting. And, and yeah, and I was just like, oh, no, wrong box. You've put me in a box of gimmicky leadership, whereas the box I want to be put in, if I'm put in a box at all, which I don't really want to be, but – I know that what we like to do, the brain likes to put people in boxes. So if you want to put me in a box, put me in the one that is profound behavioral change as a result of deep levels of connection, relationship, and embodied leadership. I don't know that anybody's ever got that from a ball of wool and a pair of knitting needles.
1: (laughs) I think you respond to that person.
0: Well, at the time, I was just like, Oh, but you know, my heart completely sank. And and I just thought, I am going to just exhaust myself trying to persuade this person because the box they've put me in is so far away from the world that I'm actually in and the influence and the impact that I'm actually having, that it's too big a leap. And to let that person go as not my client, not ever going to be my client not ever going to be open-minded or curious enough to want to come out and experience it or give it a go and therefore let them go and put my effort where I can have an impact and I can, I can invoke change. We can't influence everybody. I can't change the whole world. So what I can do is make my life easier by finding the ones who are mildly skeptical with an open mind You say you were sceptical and you had an open mind and were willing to explore. So that I can work with. Sceptical, shut the door, it's extreme knitting. I can't work with that. And to be okay with that, not my person. And I think if we think about this in terms of how we walk our way through life, there will be jobs that we do where we get there and we think, not my company. This is not my right place. This is not the right place for me right now with the skills that I have in, in the way, in the impact that I want to have in this moment. That doesn't mean never. It just means right now, this moment. And I think those are the choices that we have to make, is that sometimes it's worth fighting for a relationship or a breakthrough or a seeing a different perspective. And sometimes we have to say, I can let you go. Because not right now, not in this way. And there are other people I can work with and influence without exhausting a, myself.
1: That's a very um, powerful way of actually living because it then allows you to, to focus your time and your energy on the people that are important and not those who are not. Like you said, you bang your head against the wall just trying to convince people. I mean, extreme knitting, uh, that, that was just, I was like, what? Of all the things to compare <laughs> horses to, extreme knitting was not the one that came to mind. So I could just only imagine. And um, wow, you handle that a lot better than I would. Let me just say that.
0: So- <laughs> I, I went home utterly, feeling utterly defeated and deflated. Mm-hmm. But the learning point for me was I can't convince everybody. Yeah. And so be clear about when it's important and when to just say, I can let you go. That I think, and I think that's the, and it's not, it's not easy. I I, I make this sound like it's like, it's binary of like, Oh, not important. Let you go. Like our emotions get involved, our sense of personal self and worth and, The impact of my work gets involved. That's emotionally charged. But what it did was it made me realize that I can't convince everybody and to be okay with that and to not actually see it as that's that person's fault, but actually to say in that moment I wasn't skilled enough in describing my work in a way that people understood it was all about the depth of relationship and about connection and going forward together which is very different from extreme knitting (laughs) but I wasn't able to articulate that and so that was the learning for me of how do I get better at articulating what it's like to step into my world that is bonkers on the exterior of step into a field with horses and build a relationship and make that meaningful for a global bank or a global IT company or a small business or whatever it is. I wasn't skilled in that moment. So I have to continually dig deeper and be more skilled so that emotionally I can articulate and build the connection and build those bridges between the worlds that are just different perspectives. But actually, we all want the same thing. We all want relationship. We all want results. We all want connection. We all want to be human. We all just have different experiences and skills and values and we come at things from different points of view but if we start with we're actually all trying to create the same thing we can start from a place of alignment rather than a place of difference
1: It's one of the standout stories from working with either Kale opus tiffins the blue Gill admiral those are the horses' names, by the way, people. <laughs> yeah.
0: I have so many. I real struggle. One I will share with you, which is Opus, which is that he, as he got older, he was 31 when he died two years ago. And by the time he was 28, he was done with bossing people around and trying to put them in their place and show them how to lead effectively. He was an alpha male. He did it with such heart and compassion and I gave him the run of the yard and he would walk up and down the yard outside my window. And he was on every sales call or conversation I ever had. Because every time I wasn't sure, he would appear in sight. So he would be out in the field and he would be, he, if, I could, if I was working with a group or if I was on a sales call and I had a moment of self-doubt, he would suddenly appear in my eyeline and look at me. as as if to remind myself that I do know what I'm doing and that like to have somebody who's got your back in that way is so profound. Um, And for it to be a horse, a a different species, like 10 years ago, even probably three years ago, I might've said, that's crazy. But without him, I really noticed the difference. And, and, and there are moments now when I might be with a team where I think I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm going with this. I remember him looking at me and thinking, I do know what I'm doing. Opus would like headbutt me into next week and tell me I do know what I'm doing in a loving way. That's one. Can I give you another?
1: Give me another one. And i will
0: be greedy. And I'm, I'm sharing my stories here rather than client stories because a lot of my client stories are in my books. But the other one that was pivotal for me was Tiffin, who's an ex race horse who had been beaten as a racehorse and and had whip marks on his face and down his side. And once he realized that nobody on my yard got beaten, he stopped being compliant and became the aggressor and became very aggressive, very dominant, and would rear up if he didn't like something, which would terrify me and would trigger my trauma around horses. And my first instinct was to let him go. And then I realized he'd been sold every year for four years. And that was his pattern was to switch from being compliant victim to the aggressor. And so I brought him into the stable and I sat on the floor. He's 16.3. He's 700 kilos. And I sat on his, the floor of his stable in 14 foot by 14 foot square. And I said to him, this pattern ends here. I'm not the victim or the aggressor, and neither are you. Somehow we need to build a relationship and work together in partnership. And he just looked at me. And from that moment on, he completely trusted me implicitly. Wow. And yes, there's a (laughs) tear. It was a profound moment of making myself self-vulnerable for the sake of being in relationship and ultimately saving his life because I wasn't willing to sell him on because that's what everybody else before me had done. And so when I say it ends here, what I said to him was I either put you to sleep or we work out a way to both be in partnership. So I'm not the victim and you're not the aggressor and we don't do it the other way around either. That was pivotal for my leadership to know That I could be in extreme danger and lead my way out of it by building relationship and influence another sentient being to meet me in that place.
1: It's amazing what the work that you do and the experiences and the impacts it can have on on people as individuals and on teams and on culture dynamics as well. I mean, in your latest book, you talk about the, the hidden dynamics of team performance. And it's a really great book that has um, this organizational model in there and a lot of different great things that people can definitely glean from. And then if you want to hear a lot more stories like Judith just shared, all three books will be in the show notes available to you. So you can definitely tap into that. But just before we, we wrap up, there's two questions I have. One. How do you define leadership?
0: For me, it's such a felt experience. I struggle to find words for it. So the best I can do, despite having written three books on leadership. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe I find it difficult to find the words because it, it's so many things, but what it boils down to me is a felt sense of being in relationship with another or others and moving forward together to achieve great work. And the felt sense is I know in my body when I'm in flow and I know when there's dissonance and tension. And for me, leadership is about finding our flow when we don't have all the answers and going together with others.
1: What would success look like to you with the work that you do?
0: Every Life changed is success. So every question that somebody goes away with, even if they don't go away with an answer, they go away with a different question. That for me is success. The, the ultimate success is one person at a, at a time, seeing the world through a different set of eyes and knowing how to navigate it and find their flow in that. And how that can fundamentally shift the way that we show up in the world the way we engage in our relationships both personal and professional and to do great work in the world that fundamentally makes a positive difference in society that's why i do this work
1: and i'm very glad that you do it's something that people need to read more about but ultimately it Experience, because I think the the experience is it's hard to put into words. Sometimes, you know, honestly, it's very hard to put into words. It's something that needs to be felt, and you're in an environment where it's a non-judgmental space. It's in nature, so there's so many different things going for you, and you can just be free to to think, to engage. In this two way, I want to call it a two way communication with animals. And obviously, you have the amazing Jude around you as well, but she just falls back, you know, honestly, and lets you just do your thing with with the animals. So it's, in fact, working people find out more about the work that you do and potentially contact you to get involved and have an experience for themselves or for their teams or for their leadership teams.
0: Yeah, well, my website is my name, which is I'm on LinkedIn. You can Google that name and find me on all the usual social media platforms. And um, that's probably the the easiest way. And th- and through my books, you know, you can read about client stories, my stories, how I make sense of them as well.
1: Jude, it's been an absolute pleasure just listening to stories, you sharing your experience and it's been great getting to know you for the last couple of months and just want to keep spreading the word about the work that you do so other people can get involved. Thank you very much for today. This is Everyday Leadership and I will see you next week.